Welcome back to the Space News Podcast, Space Cadets. My name is Will. And, dude, Earth's oldest rock was found on the moon? An Earth rock found on the moon. Does that make any sense? Well, I'll let you know how it does make sense in a little bit. But before I get into that, I want to say thank you so, so much to everybody who's continuing to subscribe to the channel. Um, If you're not subscribed now, just hit that subscribe button. It's super quick, super easy. Helps out the show a ton. Also, if you go to spacenewspodcast.com, follow us on social at Space News Pod, and you can contribute to the show by going to patreon.com slash Space News Podcast. Patreon is a great way for me to continue doing the show, but without ads. If I get enough uh, supporters on Patreon, I will discontinue ads. No more ads before the shows. No more ads in the middle. No more ads at the end. So that's that's basically what I want to be able to do with this show. So again, thank you for your continued support, and I hope to see you on Patreon. Now, let's get back to an Earth rock on the moon. What is that even about? So scientists discovered what may be Earth's oldest rock in a lunar sample returned by the Apollo 14 astronauts. And the research about this possible relic from the Hadean Earth is published today in the journal Earth and Planetary Science Letters. An international team of scientists associated with the Center for Lunar Science and Exploration, the CLSE, part of NASA's Solar System Exploration Research Virtual Institute, found evidence that the rock was launched from Earth by a large impacting asteroid or comet. And that impact, it jettisoned the material through Earth's primitive atmosphere into space, where it collided with the surface of the moon which was three times closer to the Earth than it is now, which is about four billion years ago. And the rock was subsequently mixed with other lunar surface materials into one sample. So basically, there was a cosmic object which struck old Earth, smashed into it, and then launched some stuff that was part of the old Earth into the old moon. That's that's the basis of it. That's the very, very basic This team of scientists developed techniques for locating impactor fragments in the lunar regolith, which prompted CLSE principal investigator Dr. David A. Kring, which is a University Space Research Association scientist at the Lunar and Planetary Institute, the LPI, to challenge them to locate a piece of Earth on the moon. And after their research, the result of their investigation is a two gram fragment of rock composed of quartz, feldspar, and zircon, all commonly found on Earth and highly unusual on the moon. Then there was chemical analysis of the rock as well, and it shows that it has crystallized in a terrestrial-like oxidized system at terrestrial temperatures rather than in the reducing and higher temperature conditions characteristics of our moon. Dr. Kring said, It is an extraordinary find that helps paint a better picture of early Earth and the bombardment that modified our planet during the dawn of life. You know, it's also possible that the sample isn't actually from Earth, um, but it could be instead crystallized on the moon. However, that would require conditions never before inferred from lunar samples, and it would require the sample to have formed at tremendous depths in the the, uh, lunar mantle where very different rock compositions are anticipated 
and therefore the simplest interpretation is that the sample came from Earth itself. So the scientists, they they came up with some sample history from it. And the rock crystallized about 20 kilometers beneath Earth's surface 4.0 to 4.1 billion years ago. And it was hit by an impact from a large um, asteroid comet, something like that. And it was launched into cislunar space. And previous work by the team showed that impacting asteroids at that time were producing craters thousands of kilometers in diameter on Earth, and which is sufficiently large to bring material from those depths to the surface. And once this sample hit the lunar surface, it was affected by several other impact events, one of which partially melted at 3.9 billion years ago and which probably buried it beneath the surface. The sample is therefore a relic of an intense period of bombardment that shaped the solar system during the first billion years. And after that time, after that period, the moon was affected by smaller and less frequent impact events. And the final impact event to affect this sample occurred about 26 million years ago when an impacting asteroid hit the moon, producing small 340 meter diameter cone crater and excavating the sample back onto the lunar surface where astronauts collected it almost 48 years ago. And these astronauts, they excavated on January 31st through February 6th of 1971, somewhere in that time range. So coming up in a couple days. And look, these scientists, they know that this is weird. This is controversial. This is pretty new. And they're going to go through other samples and see if they can find something else similar. But they're also going to continue to uh, cultivate samples on the moon in the future with robotic missions, human missions, etc. And they're going to kind of put a timestamp on this stuff. And they're going to excavate more of these samples and do some more research on them to see if this is actually a thing. If this isn't just one thing, you know, you have to replicate the study more than once in order for it to be, you know, true, in order for it to be a complete scientific experiment. Basically, you have to prove it. Uh, So they're going to continue doing studies. They're going to get more samples uh, because they know that it's weird. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I want to go from the moon down to Earth and kind of in space. Strato launch space venture sharply scales back its operations months after Paul Allen has died. Strato launch, which is a Seattle based space venture created by Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen seven years ago, says it's discontinuing its programs to develop a new type of rocket engine and a new line of rockets. But the company said it'll continue working on the world's largest airplane, which is designed to serve as a flying launch pad for rockets. Last week, Stratolaunch put its 385-foot-wide twin-fuselage plane through a high-speed taxi test that many saw as a precursor for its first flight test at the Mojave Air and Spaceport. Stratolaunch is ending the development of their family of launch vehicles and rocket engine, streamlining operations, focusing on the aircraft, and the ability to support a demonstration launch of the Northam Northrop, sorry, Northrop Grumman Pegasus XL air launch vehicle, 
and they said that we are immensely proud of what we have accomplished and look forward to first flight in 2019. And as always, if you cut a program, you're going to have to cut people's jobs, so they had to lay off 50 people. And the company's development plan? It's called for getting its giant plane certified to carry rockets by early as 2020, with the capacity to launch up to three of Northrop Grumman's Pegasus XL launch vehicles from an altitude in the neighborhood of 35,000 feet. So an air launch, like a, you know what they're going to be doing here with their twin fuselage awesome jetliner here, uh, the capability of doing that has an advantage, and it allows payloads to be sent into orbit on a variety of trajectories from any base of operation that's big enough to accommodate a plane, while well, this plane is giant plane, and the flexibility may be attractive to certain types of commercial, governmental, and military customers. So it's kind of like Virgin Galactic, right? So they have their mothership, basically, that they carry their rocket on. They deploy the rocket. The rocket launches from underneath the plane and shoots itself up into space. And that's basically what this gigantic, the world's largest plane, would be doing, the straddle launch, high-speed aircraft. But it wouldn't be doing it for space tourists. It would be doing it for, you know, something like government spy satellites, other satellite companies. Uh, maybe there would be astronauts involved in the future. I mean, depending on what the launch capabilities of this thing are. But they're trying to make it as flexible as possible. And they're trying to work on it so in the future they can have a lot of clients. But I think that's one of the things that happened with their rocket program is that they see a competitive space. They see something like SpaceX. They see something like Blue Origin. And they think to themselves, okay, the bottom line is we want to make money. We're a company. Uh, the straddle launch system is going to work. Uh, the rocket itself, they have a huge amount of competition due to the other companies that I just mentioned, just SpaceX and Blue Origin alone. Um, not, you know, not mentioning ULA or anything like that, who already have giant rockets. Um, and also NASA. I mean, th those are huge corporations that already have this technology and to develop their own technology uh, would take them years and years and billions of dollars. You know, Blue Origin has already spent billions of dollars. SpaceX, same thing. Um, so in Virgin Galactic as well, Virgin Orbit, they've spent billions of dollars. So, you know, it's either you spend the money and compete with these guys. SpaceX is huge. Blue Origin is huge. Virgin Galactic is huge. Or you make your own um, side project. You know, you make your own thing and carve your own path. And I think that's what these guys are doing. And just to get this straight, like, this is cool. This isn't a weird thing. I mean, it's kind of weird. They have the, the biggest plane ever. Um, <laughs> but other than that, like, this is a cool launch system, man. This is different than going straight up, straight down. You know, like if if you take a rocket, and you go straight up. There's only certain sort of trajectories you can hit. And with this plane, you can hit all sorts of different trajectories. So this is a cool alternative to something like Blue Origin SpaceX. I'm going to dip a little bit into the Apollo 1 disaster, which happened today um, in 1967. January 27th, 1967, Apollo 1, which was initially designated as AS-204, was the first manned mission of the United States Apollo program, which is the program that landed the first men on the moon and planned as the first low Earth orbital test of the Apollo Command and Service Module with a crew uh, to launch on February 21st, 1967. The mission never flew, and a cabin fire during a launch rehearsal test 
at Cape Kennedy Air Force Station Launch Complex 34 on January 27th, killed all three members. Um, Command pilot Virgil Gus Grissom, senior pilot Ed White, and, and pilot Robert Chafee, and destroyed the command module. The name Apollo 1 chosen by the crew was officially retired by NASA in commemoration of them on April 24th, 1967. So thanks to their sacrifice, thanks to all of the technology that was born after this horrible incident, we made it to the moon. We are a space-faring civilization. We have people in space now because of these people, because of these three brave people. I'm sorry to end it on a downer like that, but we have to remember our past and what the people of our past has sacrificed for all the cool things that we get to do now. And without them, there would be no SpaceX. There would be no Blue Origin. There would be no Virgin Galactic or any other companies out there doing this. So that being said, this is the end of the episode, my friends. But I'll be back tomorrow with more episodes, and I'm going to continue doing a little bit longer ones than normal. So i um, going to continue doing more information per episode. Instead of focusing on one thing, I'm going to try to get more than one um, topic in every episode going forward. So basically condensing everything that I do now, because I usually do small hits of news every day. I'll use uh, probably like five to six minutes of an episode. I'll make five or six minutes of an episode and then... I'll post it up so you guys can have the latest space news. But I find it's easier to do it all at once and to have a nice long episodes for you guys to listen to in the car, on your bike, you know, wherever you listen to your podcasts. So that being said, um, whatever you listen, wherever you listen, make sure to leave a, uh, a comment. Make sure to leave a five star review. Yes, five stars only. I'm just joking. Review however you want to. However you want to. If you find that something's weird, make sure I know about it because then I can make this thing better for you. If you really like it, make sure you say that you really like it. Those are the best reviews to get more people in here to listen to it so I can grow this thing and have cooler, better, longer, awesomer episodes. So positive reviews are really important. The reviews, constructive criticism is also important as well. So from those constructive criticisms that I've had in the past on my comments, I've made changes to better this episode, to better this whole podcast. So thank you so much for all of those. Thank you for everybody who supported the podcast. Thank you for subscribing and following on uh, social media at Space News Pod and at SpaceNewsPodcast.com. And my friends, my space cadets, I am out of here and I will see you soon. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 